Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. What is up, you guys? Welcome to another episode of The No with me, Nikki Spo. I am so glad you're here. If you know, you know. So let's get started. Today I am talking about, well, I'm not talking about, my guest is going to be talking about, I might talk a little bit about it too. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. I get kind of nervous about these things. It's a kind of a taboo topic that we're getting into today. So we're jumping into the topic of marital intimacy. Today I have on Dr. Alexandra Stockwell, who is known as the intimacy doctor. She is an intimate marriage expert who specializes in coaching couples to build successful beautiful, long-lasting, passionate relationships. She is the best-selling author of the book, Uncompromising Intimacy, and host of the Intimate Marriage Podcast. First as a family medicine doctor, and now as a coach, for over 20 years, Alexandra has shown men and women how to bring pleasure and purpose into all aspects of life. I'm so excited to have this conversation with Dr. Alexandra Stockwell. So let's dive right in. Dr. Alexandra Stockwell, thank you for, for your time, for coming onto the show. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so grateful too. I love the ways in which we do such different things in the world and the ways in which we really come from a similar essence. Oh my gosh. You know, I've never had anybody really say that before, like that we do such different things in the world. We really do. But I think ultimately like you're like about the essence part anyway, there's something that comes together for me and you in that, like, I like to think, well, I know for sure that you're helping people, right? And I like to think that in some capacity that, you know, listening to stories and hearing from experts like you helps my listeners in some way, some form, somehow. So it's just, you know. It's so interesting that you say that because based on the podcasts of yours that I've listened to, I agree with what you said, but I think one of the most profound contributions you make is being so present and so transparent. There's a way in which that gives other people permission and inspiration. So I think, yes, the way you help is learning from experts, but also the way you help is being so transparent in how you learn. I've spoken to so many women, like this is such an important topic, marital intimacy. And I think a lot of it comes back to intimacy, like with yourself, which I'm going to, I want to ask you about later, but I'm excited to give our listeners an opportunity to kind of like tune into something like this, because I, I think it's kind of hard to ask about, you know, it's not like, it's not like an easy, like topic to present, like not even to your friends because nobody ever wants to like say or admit, or like, I don't know, just present the concept that maybe they want something different, that they're not satisfied or that they are satisfied. Like it's taboo either way to be like, yeah, I'm living the life of my dreams in the sack or like, yeah, my, my, marital intimacy is struggling. Like either way, I think it's a really difficult topic to present. So we're going to do it. Me and you, we're going to do it. Absolutely. And I want to respond to that because I think there are two general scenarios where the topic is easy. Not, not easy, easier. That is once someone is already getting divorced, then all kinds of things comes out. And that's part of processing. And the other place where it happens is in dating, where we can commiserate or enjoy, like there's a lot more ease. But in both of those scenarios, and this gets back to intimacy with yourself in a nuanced, indirect way, 
In both of those scenarios, our identity is either not yet or no longer interwoven with the marriage. And when it is, it's very complicated to expose something because we're really exposing our identity in a way that is uncomfortable. Totally. I like never thought about it that way. I mean, it's been a long time. It's been a, it's been a quite a long time since I've dated, right? But like my husband and I, we still try to date, you know what I mean? Yes, like we yes. still try to create that atmosphere of like that dating life. You know, we've been together, what, 15 years now, like on and off and then married for five and a half. And yeah, like we've known each other forever, but I can relate to like the dating days, right? Where you're like, yeah, there's like no harm in getting to the to the point about what you like and what you don't like. And I mean, hopefully I'll never have to be in this position, but I can only imagine that when people are at the brink of separating and calling calling it quits and doing this big life change, like that stuff would come up. Like it it seems very natural that it would, but it's hard to do it in the middle, right? Absolutely. That's one reason, and the other reason that I think it's really hard is because we don't have role models for what fantastic looks like or what it looks like to go from a challenging day to an awesome night or to like how we transform ourselves. And that actually is why I'm very transparent. I used to be so private. If my husband would tell someone anything other than that we were married, I would feel like it was a violation of a boundary and that's none of their business. It's only our business. But now I will talk explicitly about our sex life and about things that we navigate. And the reason that I do it is because we are mammals. We learn through imitation and no matter how brilliant and well-developed our frontal cortexes are, relationships it's still an arena where modeling and imitation is our main way of progressing, at least in terms of input from other people. So your book is called Uncompromising Intimacy. And I know that for me, almost every single message that I've heard since I was a kid, besides sex is bad, <laughs> is that like when it comes to marriage and partnership anyway, is that marriage takes compromise, right? That's the message. Marriage takes compromise. So my question has two parts. First of all, you've been married for 24 years. Do yeah, you actually believe now I wrote the book two years ago. So 26 oh. is next month. Woohoo! That's amazing. That's amazing. Congratulations to you and your partner. Um, so do you believe that it is important to compromise in some capacity? So yes, it is. It's not just you. It is the most common advice given throughout the world that compromise is the way to have a good marriage. And that is completely wrong. That will work if you want a bland companionship. But if you want passion and growth and like a teammate for deliciousness and erotic expansion, uncompromising intimacy, uncompromising intimacy is the way to do that. And it's really important to me to define uncompromising because it doesn't mean that you always get your way, that you're exacting and basically you're a bully in your marriage. What it means is where compromise is when you hold back what's important, what you want, what you're feeling, who you are, because of how you think that's going to make your partner feel, 
uncompromising intimacy is when you don't. You share it. You learn. You access the awareness and the courage to express yourself and share who you really are, what you want to have for dinner, where you want to live, what you want to, what kind of sex you want to be having, whatever it is you that you wish he'd made the bed this morning. Like this is true for the most micro matters and the most global matters. You bring the truth of who you are rather than checking it at the door when you get home at night. And you learn how to receive your partner too. Because when both people have room to truly be themselves, that's when the most passionate intimacy happens. So that's the context for your question about is there ever a place for compromise? And this is tricky in the semantics because I would say no, but it can look like the answer is yes. Because I might have something to say and my husband has just come home from work. He's worn out. He has a deadline, you know, whatever the situation, or he's in, you know, he sleep, he didn't get much sleep, whatever the situation is. And it's not the right time to bring up something that's really alive for me. So from the outside, it could look like I'm compromising. I'm holding back out of consideration for his experience, but it doesn't actually live in me that way. It's more that I am responsible, I am empowered, I'm not pushing my experience under my own rug, I'm honoring it and essentially being uncompromisingly intimate with myself. And there are two of us and it's not always the right time. Like we, we don't want to, um, like the problem with that is if I never brought it up. But I don't think of it as compromise when in a collaborative gesture, I honor his experience and I honor mine. But the way that I honor mine is to be aware of it myself and share it another day. Okay. So there's then a difference between compromising in your world and in like the sphere of your work and collaboration. Very much so. I, I think a way to... Um, Think of this as the difference between nice and kind, because we all know that narcissism is terrible, that there's nobody in their right mind who advocates for narcissism, which is on one end of the spectrum where a person is just completely oriented to their own experience and their own well-being and uses the relationship for their own benefit. And then at the other end of the spectrum is being nice. This is how I use the term, but where you're prioritizing your, the other person's experience so much that you're not honoring your own. And society rewards niceness and not narcissism, but they're, in the sense that I mean this right now, kind of equivalent when it comes to building passion in a long-lasting relationship. But I use the word kind to describe like the feeling of nice but not holding back what's really true for you, not being accommodating, that in kindness, you honor your partner's experience as one does when being nice, and you honor your own experience in the way that you don't have access to if you're with a narcissist. So why is marital intimacy such a spicy topic? Like, why is it so difficult for us to talk about? Most of the people that I'm speaking with are 
competent. They are competent in their lives. They are educated. They are doing significant things professionally. And in even in raising children, we're used to being problem solvers. If there's a challenge, we know how we're going to navigate that. Getting back to what we discussed earlier, when it comes to marital intimacy or any kind of relationship challenges, most people feel incompetent to navigate that. And that is so uncomfortable when you're used to being competent and handling things in the rest of your life. I think that that synergistically makes it more challenging. Well, and, you know, like we, li- we still live in a world of like huge com- comparison, right? Like it's so easy to look at somebody else's marriage from the outside and be like, they are doing this and they're doing that. And well, so-and-so does this. You don't like, first of all, nobody really knows what anybody's doing behind closed doors, not ever. Right. And so even if you were to like open up and talk to, to friends, you know, like there really is no roadmap. We're all figuring it out. Everybody's figuring it out. And not only that, but like each marriage like plays by its own rules. So like, who's to say that another couple's rules apply to your marriage and the the very specific and intimate, right? Like the very specific and like intimate details of, of the logistics of your marriage, right? And when I say logistics, I don't mean like the day-to-day things. I mean like the things that are unspoken between couples, right? The feelings that are unspoken, the experiences that only those two people know about each other, right? Like nobody else can tap into that. I love that you've said that because I really about each relationship being unique, I completely agree with that. But about the comparison, because I've been coaching couples for so long that I forgot about that because I have seen so many scenarios where friends and family and neighbors would think, oh, this is an ideal couple. And then I happen to be coaching them and I know the situation is so different than it seems. Like this happens all the time. So I forget about the comparison because I don't make it because I've just seen enough behind the scenes to know if someone's unhappy and that's evident on social media, you can probably trust it. But if someone's happy, you don't know that. You just don't know that. And let's hope they know it. There's this, the opening of Anna Karenina, you know, the, the great book, it opens with saying, and every happy family is happy in the same way. And every unhappy family is uniquely unhappy. And then it goes on to tell this story of a very unhappy family. But I remember uh, flipping through a book in the medical school bookstore. It was a book for the psychology program that said it's the exact opposite, that unhappy families all follow patterns of dysfunction in a predictable way. You don't know which pattern you're going to have, but They're all explained by dysfunctional patterns, but a happy family or a happy, passionate marriage, that is a unique and creative and really customized process. And it's why I think it's so important that any kind of intimacy and passion includes slowing down enough to get in touch with yourself because yes, I teach very systematic step-by-step ways of doing this, but what I'm teaching people to do is to tap into what's true and what they already know for themselves or the questions that they need to find the answers to. That is what is necessary for a super turned on relationship. 
Do you believe that most long-lasting relationships experience a loss of, a loss of passion? And why is that phenomenon? Like, well, why? it's not the kind of thing that I have a belief about. It's just that's what the data shows. Right. And so, and it's also what the cultural narrative is. Like we kind uh, of all assume that, that yeah. passion wanes with time. I have a friend who's a fantastic nurse practitioner, meaning she is, she knows anatomy and physiology. And she just said to me at one point after she heard me say something, because I don't have a professional relationship, I have a personal relationship. And she heard me say something and she said, well, don't couples just stop having sex? Like, isn't that normal? And I said, no, actually, it's not normal. It may be what you're experiencing, but... I, I have couples in my Facebook group, one who's been married for 53 years, who has had a good sex life all along, and the wife told me in the last year they've had a sexual awakening. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I don't know her, but I'm bringing her on. Yeah, and then another couple, she says she's been married for 50 years, and she's having the best orgasms of her life. And so I said, tell us more. Like, yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, she has learned to receive more pleasure. And that doesn't, just to be clear, receiving more pleasure, that's not about her husband improving his technique. That's not what that's about. Right. Got it. Like, receiving- to clarify anyway, because I, maybe some people out here don't get it. Yeah, like to receive more pleasure doesn't mean someone's doing more things or doing them better. It's about slowing down and letting yourself have the experience that you're actually having in that moment. And when you bring your attention in a mindful way to what is happening in your genitals and all around, you get to feel more of it. Because of my husband's profession, um, we spend a significant amount of time away from each other, right? Um, and because of that, we're super intentional about scheduling our alone time. We're really intentional about our date nights and having those moments to reconnect with each other. And we make it, we really do make it a priority. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm really, really grateful for it. My husband is actually, he's the one, he like surprises me and I'll like find a um a, an appointment on my calendar and I'm like oh okay that's I'm so like that's lovely. what's up I'm like okay, like- okay <laughs> I see you making that appointment with me I like it I like it because I have so many other things going on especially like child rearing that it, it mean that goes a long way so that's a real gift but I will say that it's also difficult because both of us always want our time together to be like perfect right like because there's limited time we want everything to be smooth and happy and perfect but like real life gets in the way of that sometimes. We have to problem solve, raise our children, and deal with all of like the unglamorous aspects of your everyday marriage. But we have to do that in our condensed time together. And it's a really, really tricky balance. And so in your book, you mentioned that it's not always more time that relationships need. So what is it that relationships need? When couples say, we just need more time together. And I don't really think that's what it is. They're living under the same roof. They're sleeping in the same house every night. So I'm going to speak to that situation first, which is that one of the fundamental like 
unconscious beliefs about thinking you need more time to cultivate the relationship and feel connected is thinking that it doesn't happen simultaneously with the ebb and flow of the mundane parts of daily life. And I think that is the thing to shift first. So for example, if my husband's going to leave for work in the morning, he could just leave or he could say, bye, honey, or he could come give me a peck or I could make a point when I know he's moving towards the door to go be at the door and give him a peck or whether it's by the door or somewhere else, we could take literally the exact same amount of time, you know, two seconds and both of us be present in that moment as our lips touch one another so that it feels like we've really connected and it can be tingly. And then the whole rest of the day feels different than when we both are home again in the evening, it feels a lot more like a reunion or a reconnecting or a continuing something that was started in the morning than it does to like work through all the stuff of the day and like find our way back through the maze of other responsibilities. I've actually received that advice. I've received the advice. So to kiss for two seconds, like, I mean, it doesn't have to be like a makeout, like a full tongue kiss, but like, so I, I became more intentional with, with my husband to like, cause we were, we got into a habit of like being like, all right, I gotta go. All right. I gotta go. Bye. 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 See ya. You know? And it wasn't necessarily like, like, it wasn't mean in any way, but it was just like everything was, was rushed. It was practical. Exactly. And so I received the advice of like, try just kissing for two seconds. So I felt, and I remember feeling silly because I would like go up to give him a smooch and he was like ready to like do the pull away. And I'm like, I'm like stuck with my lips out. You know what I mean? And I'm like, come here, come here. He's like, I gotta go. I'm like, no, no, no. We're going to kiss for two seconds. And he's like kind of laughing, rolling his eyes with me at me a little bit. Like, but we're joking with each other. And I'm thinking like over time, like those two second kisses became really sweet. Like, and I'm, I've been listening to you say that, that tingle, like it's so nice to slow down and just have like a really comfortable, soft smooch for those two seconds. And so I'm, the reason why I was smiling so big is like, I'm like, I got, I received that advice. She's speaking the truth. It really works. It really works. It really works. And I like know it in my life to be true. I love that. And you know, the, the other thing about talking about these things is I talk a lot about my own marriage because I hold HIPAA standards with confidentiality with my clients, especially on these issues. But all of these things, I could tell stories about them. I just don't. But in this particular instance, the way that I came to this is that there was a time because we have four children and one of our phases was I was at home and he was working and he would leave and then I'd be home with the children all day, but I would feel like his body left the house before, I mean, his, his energy, his soul left the house before his body. So even if I had kissed him, it, it wasn't satisfying. And so the way that this really works, and I love the arc you've described of it becoming so sweet is when both people are present and that can happen. It's really a shift in attention. It's, it's a mindfulness shift that can happen in any context as we really grew with this. I'll be cooking, which sometimes is fun and sometimes it's like a burden to, not like a heavy burden, but anyone will, yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, I got to make dinner again, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, you know, every day for 
26 years. And my husband will walk by and just brush the back of my neck lightly. That has me feel connected. It has me feel like a woman. I shift from feeling like a, a glad servant or a sometimes resentful servant to my family to being like, oh, like I'm a woman and my man perceives me. So if he does that and I brush his hand away or I like it, but I just stay focused on the stove and don't let him feel how much that has touched me, he will stop. You make the shift the way that you described and maybe you just both are responsive. Maybe you need some words to say what your intention is, but this is not that one person is adjusting. One person can lead the way. When we were living in rural Southwest Kansas and my four kids were in the living room and it was a mess and they were loud and I was sauteing onions for dinner and I just was resentful and pissy. And so I was pushing the spoon around the pan as like just, you know, angry and like all this pressure on those onions. And it occurred to me that they were going to cook just as well if it was enjoyable for me. So rather than be something I took my frustrations out on, I started sauteing slowly and suddenly I smelled how good they were. And I started like moving my hips and breathing more slowly. And everyone was doing the exact same thing. It was just me who pivoted. And then, first of all, I noticed that the more in my own sensuality in this delicious way that I refer to as discrete eroticism, I'm not talking about having sex in front of the children, but I am talking about not keeping the sexual energies locked up in the bedroom until everyone's asleep and then you can do it, that there's a way to have them throughout the day. So I, I got rid of all of my frumpy aprons and got like French maid style aprons for when I cook so I could have fun with it. And sitting down at the table that night, first of all, the children were calmer too, as I was more in my womanliness. But I realized with four children at the table that I was used to either just talking to the children and essentially ignoring my husband, not, not like ignoring him, but not paying attention to him, so therefore ignoring him. And, or I was used to looking at him as this wonderful co-parent. But when I was sitting there feeling womanly and the same person who's awake in the bedroom and not having that locked up, that I suddenly saw him as this attractive man. And our dinner times have, our family meals have been different ever since because it's not just two adults taking care of kids. It's not just two co-parents. It is very much a man and a woman having dinner together as well as a family meal. Some of us grew up and then we didn't have those examples of like what it meant to show how interested a man is towards a woman or whatever, like woman to a woman, man to a man, or yes, whatever. Yes, like, yes. But like what that looks like. So it sounds to me like the power of slowing down is just like a, a big 
theme in your book, like the, just that there's tremendous power in slowing down. And we talked a little bit on the phone the other day about like things we can do, just like washing our face, like the way that we wash our face and sip our coffee that will make all the difference in our lives. Like slowly, those like, like micro changes that, that can make a huge difference. Very often, if we want to be having better sex, we want our person to be a better lover, a better lover, a more skillful lover. And that's awesome. I'm not against that. But in order to enjoy sex more, we really need to inhabit our sensuality. Like that's not something someone does to us by touching us well. That is something that we need to cultivate and orient to in ourselves. Having your coffee in your favorite mug and really enjoying the flavor, you get the pleasure of the coffee, but you're also kind of re-educating yourself how to have a really great experience that is in your body and in your senses, which will also, of course, fill your soul. And washing your face I've talked with enough women that I have learned that many people, when many women wash their face in the morning, really like it's the kitchen counter instead of like it's flesh that you get to touch. And there again, maybe technically in clock time, it takes 15 seconds more, but really who doesn't have, I mean, who doesn't have 15 seconds, but it's just a drastically different experience if internally you slow down enough to actually connect with your face while you wash it or when you choose your clothes that you pay attention to if it's a day where you feel like silk next to your skin or is it a day where you feel like cotton or whatever it is that the fabrics are that you enjoy that your own sensual experience it's important for you and it's also important for any kind of erotic experiences you're going to have. You touch about the power couple dynamic. So on the outside, I think it's pretty obvious like to most people that like my, my husband is a high performer and the quote power to our quote couple, right? He's the power to the couple. Okay, fine. And I'm getting, I'm getting really vulnerable by, by sharing this. Um, but it really wasn't until recently that I started to view myself as his equal in this regard. And it's, I'm not going to get into like the nitty gritty details about it's that because important. it was very- That was a beautiful transmission. Right. I did not always view my marriage, us, as a power couple because I didn't perceive myself to be powerful. Like I think about that now and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so, that makes me feel so sad you know, for like the woman that I was, you know, and I, whatever, like everything is a learning process. And like, I don't think there are any mistakes in the world. You know, there was a reason why I've been able to now come into step into my own power in this way. And the reality is that that has completely shifted for me in recent years. And I have never felt more powerful than I do at this point in my life. And I know that my power has nothing to do with like money or achievements or results or products or what I put out, you know, I believe that I have a power from within me, which is like really what I want all of my listeners to feel. So I want to start with your feedback on the high performer's key to a successful relationship. Like what made you even like put that together? You've said something that deserves a breath, deserves 
an honoring and I'll share because I'm guessing that maybe some listeners can really relate that like there's this part of me that wanted to say oh but you are so powerful but I know better I mean now you know it but I mean that you always have been but I know better than to do that because if that wasn't your experience then that needs to be honored that in honoring that you pave the way to feel more of your own power. There are a number of challenges for high-performing couples. One of them I've already mentioned, which is that when you are used to feeling like you are a competent person in the rest of your life and you know how to problem solve and when challenges arise, maybe you even get off on figuring out something insurmountable and turning it into either an amazing rags to riches story or a phoenix. Like that, That's like part of what feeds the high performer is having mountains to climb and then getting to the summit. It's extremely vulnerable in relationship not to have those same tools. I think If someone hasn't experienced it, it's very hard to relate to how vulnerable it is not to feel competent in in relationship when you feel competent in the rest of your life. So that just needs to be stated with compassion. And in fact, like a related piece of this is anytime I work with a couple, I start by honoring how good their relationship is. Like if they are there with me, There's a lot of goodness. And yes, then we'll focus on the rest. The simplest answer is communication. But what I mean by that is being curious and choosing to reveal your experience. I think one of the things that really complicates high-performance power couple marriages is when one person goes through growth and doesn't share it. because. It's actually a common thing. I never thought about that. It's a common thing, particularly for competent people, to like handle their shit and then come back. Yeah, right. Even if they're verbal processors, this is still energetically true. But if you, like, let's say the dynamic, I'm going to exaggerate, but the dynamic is what you just described, where both you and Eric see him as a really powerful person and you anyway see yourself as a little bit less than in terms of power. And then you, let's say, go to a retreat, you read a book, you're on a run, you have an epiphany, whatever. Now you have this new sense of yourself, which is way more accurate and authentic. And then you come back and interact from there, but you never tell him anything about what you've come to understand. That ends up being destabilizing because he's suddenly walking on ground that feels like quicksand, even though I'm sure that he's happy for you to have this growth. Maybe he has some other feelings too, but fundamentally when you love someone, you're going to, in addition to everything else that comes up, celebrate that they are more authentic and more true to themselves. So the real thing, if someone is in this kind of a, cultural evolution in the marriage, then you go for it. But I think this is the kind of thing to practice when things are more status quo, which is 
not taking things for granted, asking questions like, what are you daydreaming about today? And, you know, things are so good, but if you could change something, what would it be? I mean, you can ask any kinds of questions and really listen to the answer. And if you're never surprised, then up the quality and vulnerability of your questions and the permission with which you listen. Why do you think that so many high achieving women specifically, like just talking about the women now, feel torn between their career and their relationship? We're used to having a goal and then taking the steps to achieve it. But that is not how relationships work. And so there are a few different things, but one of the reasons that women feel torn between career and relationship or family life is that in career, you have the opportunity to feel successful. You have the opportunity to feel in control. You have the opportunity to be clear where you are and where you're going next. And you know how to show up and make things work. And if you are doing that for some significant number of hours every week, it is hard to feel inept, taken for granted, to not feel respected the way you want, all things that are inherently part of marriage and family life. And so it really requires a different skill set. And for most women, transitioning from the one kind of skill set to the other is not a smooth and easy pivot. I'm so happy. Like, I'm so, so happy. I want to hug you. I want to give you a virtual hug. I want to like know you like in person. I would love to know you in person. Let's make it happen sometime. Okay. Whatever. We're in each other's city. Thank you so much for listening to The Know. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams.